What's going on, guys? It's Dave with Dynasty Dorks. We are closer and closer to football. We've had a lot of news this week. I want to do a super flex rookie mock draft, and I brought in Mr. Black Book himself. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me on, David. I, it's uh, great fun always talking some football. We got a little fun mock draft action today, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to help some people kind of get uh, you know their super flex mock rookie draft on and uh, give them a little better, uh, better sense of uh, how to approach it today. But yeah, man, just happy to be talking football with you. Yeah, I thought this was a great uh, to to talk about what what are we doing with rookie quarterbacks and you know and we can even touch on the redraft aspect of how do you you know how do you rank an Allen Robinson with the unknown of what's going on how do you handle a Damian Harris in your rankings and projections when you know Mac Jones and Cam Newton could not be more polar opposite mm-hmm. type of players um, and I'm sure that takes an effect when you're looking at those guys on your draft board so I just want to do a quick shout out. I'm not going to do it as good as you do, Joe. But Manscaped, <laughs> yeah, um, we have to throw some love to Manscaped, supporters of the show. A lot of people ask, Dave, how can I support the show? Just go on to Manscaped, use promo code DYNASTYDORKS, that's all capital. You get 20% off plus free shipping. Join 2 million men. Um, you, know, you have to use the, the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. All right, I am going to do this right this time. I'm going to start the draft on my phone and not okay. on try to click on the screen that I can't click on. So, um, <laughs> Wilson, we I, I hope you're ready. If not, we will be Tom Hanks style screaming Wilson. Well, hopefully everyone's ready here. He, he's got the light on, so it looks like he's ready. I didn't put a clock on. Hopefully this is a trusted group. So, Joe, if you were... If you were at the 101, would you consider anyone other than Trevor Lawrence? You know, in a startup rookie draft that was separate, no, uh, I wouldn't, uh, in a Superflex especially, um, because he is that transcendent quarterback, in my opinion. I've watched him for a few years in college, and, you know, to me, he is that best quarterback prospect since Luck, since Peyton Manning. He's in that kind of an ilk for me. And he's a very athletic quarterback, too. I think that doesn't get talked about enough is his ability to run and get open in space and make big plays. He's got a great arm. He's got a great feel for things. I mean, like, you just go on and on with Lawrence. You know, if you are in a, a super flex rookie mock draft, or excuse me, not mock, but just a regular draft, excuse me, and you had two great young quarterbacks, let's say you had Mahomes and, you know, somebody else you really like there as your second, then I can understand Najee Harris. That would be the only other pivot there for me. But to me, it's definitely Trevor Lawrence is the one one, and I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and even if you were to just get Trevor Lawrence there, I mean, I'm sure you would get a load of offers, um, and you would probably get some potential to trade back. Um, again, again, this is Superflex for everyone listening out there. You probably know what Superflex is, but if you do not, um, it just means that you can you have an extra flex position that not only can play running backs, receivers, and tight ends, but you can also put quarterbacks in there. Coach Steve, I hope you are here because if not, in 30 seconds, I am going to manually draft you. Time is up. Oh, it's going to do it for me. Najee Harris. Harris. There you go. So when, when you're, so Kyle Pitts is right there at the three spot. When you look at your boards, I mean, you look at your dynasty leagues, do you look at them in three to five year windows or do you really play the long game? No, uh, actually, I look into the two to three year windows. And actually, we were just talking about this today. Yates and I were doing a stages over on Fantasy Pros, and I believe I am up. So I'll make my pick and then I can answer your question here. Nah. Uh, I will take 
uh, Trey Lance very happily here in the Superflex. Uh, he was my number two quarterback on the board in the draft anyway, so very happy to get him there. Um, but to answer your question, I think I think what you want to play is two to three year windows because you really don't know how things are going to shake out, how injuries going to happen. A team that, you know, we answered a question today where a team said, you know, last year it was a startup dynasty draft and I took Michael Thomas with a third overall pick and I, and I felt great about it. And now here I am in the second year of that and I have no idea if I'm ever going to get productivity out of him. So it's amazing how fast in the NFL, how something can change like that. So um, for me, I think you play in that two to three year window. Um, I'm always willing to use draft capital in order to get proven talent when I can. I want to try to win now. And and the most the more you win now, you can always then cash in all the chips one year and just say, screw it. I'm just going to trade away all the good players, start over and do that. But the reality is a lot of dynasty leagues don't make it to year five. So you want to be good in a two to three year window. Maybe you have a retool somewhere in there if things don't go well. But try to be good and, and try your best, I think, to get players are going to help you now. And I think actually Trey Lance is a player who can help you now. I think he's going to play substantially this year. Yeah. And um, when you, when you're looking at, you know, quarterback situations, I know that in super flex, it's important to value the quarterbacks, but it's also important not to be tricked and overvalue. Um, you know, I had someone, you know, I put a trade out there, you know, Brandon, Ayuk, and, you know, uh, AJ Dillon for like Jared Goff and something else. And they were like, Jared Goff side, definitely to quarterback at Superflex. And I said, do you realistically think Jared Goff is going to be an NFL quarterback in two years? I don't point. know if that's, if that's going to happen. So if you're looking at it as he's going to be a quarterback for the next decade, then yeah, you probably are looking at that side. I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it with someone like, like him. Look what happened to Trubisky. Look what happened to Mariota. Even these guys that people are heavily invested on, they're moving on. The Lions got two first-rounders next year. They're going to be bad. No, yeah. I, just, I just don't see it. They'll be in the quarterback market for sure. I mean, the Jared Goff thing is not a long-term answer. I don't think – and Garrett Goff will be in the league, whether he's a starter or a backup or fighting for a job in a year or two. That remains to be seen. But, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head there. You know, some of these guys you got to do your own homework on. you got to – not just, you know, read about what other people think, but watch the tape for yourself if you're really serious about this. And, um, or, you know, follow good programming that really does break the players down. And for me, like I said, Lance was clearly that guy. I think Fields is going to be good. Wilson's the guy that I have a lot of trouble with. Wilson's the guy that, you know, everything, anything that people negatively had to say about Trey Lance, it's kind of the same stuff about Wilson in a lot of ways. Only when you watch the highlights of Wilson, you see, him making big throws, but he's got like eight seconds to throw the football. And that's not yeah. going to happen in the NFL. And he's also a little bit on the smaller side. He's also coming from BYU to NYC. That's a big transition. I'm from New York. I can tell you it is not the same kind of environment. Trust me. Um, and he's also got all the ghosts of quarterbacks past of the Jets and all the failures that have happened there. And I love Robert Sala. I think he is a wonderful head coach. I think they are going to turn things around there eventually. But... I just, I'm not sold that he is this, he's a good playmaker. He's got a lot of spirit. I understand why they probably liked him. But for me, it was not even the same universe. If I'm looking for NFL prospect quarterback, Trey Lance was that guy. Yeah. And then if it wasn't Lance at that spot, then Fields, Wilson to me was a distant fourth from those three guys because I think the league has changed and the game has changed. Yeah, it was really interesting that after football had stopped, Zach Wilson gained all this momentum and it was just really out of buzz, out of, 
hey, I went to the combine. I spoke to a bunch of people, and this was going to happen. And next thing you know, everyone's like, he's a lock, and he ended up eventually being the pick. Uh, Rich uh, Karimi, I'm going to say that wrong. Uh, he is covers the Jets, and he talked about oh, um, Rich Zach- Samini. Yeah. Samini. Mm-hmm. He talked about. I'll Zach help you Wilson. with all the Italian names. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You got the right guy on for this. And, and he talked about how he did not face a defender ranked in the top 250 um, out of any of the people he mm-hmm. faced. You know, we were looking at defenses. You're like, okay, well, this team is bad. This team is bad. But at least sometimes they have a player. Right, a player or two, right, yeah. He didn't face anybody. So as much as, you know, he is this number two pick, and he is starting right away. So you are going to get initial return if you are, you know, picking him as your second or third quarterback. It's still – very risky with the competition that he played against and everything we have to. So a few guys, I see a couple auto drafts. I apologize to everyone. Yeah, I can't really do too much right now with it. Tag the next guy. Sleeper notification. I like, the, uh, off. I, I like the picks at the turn there. Trey Sermon and Mac Jones. That's a pretty good haul, I think. You know, if you're going to be at the turn to still get the last of the remaining first round quarterbacks, who I still think is going to play this year quite a bit, and Trey Sermon, who is an upside running back, I think that's a that's a pretty good haul at the turn. If you could make that happen in the Superflex in a 12 team at the 12 spot with round two, I, I think you would round one and two. I think you'd be very pleased with that. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about? So Mac Jones is you know people fade him because the upside is you know not there is what the you know, narrative is. And even if he is, you know, let's say a Kirk Cousins type of a quarterback where he's kind of just always been a QB two, but offers some QB one upside. What are your thoughts about, you know, Mac Jones there? And what is your over or under him starting eight games, seven games this year? My bold prediction is he's going to start week one if if, because I I just feel like you use the draft capital to take that guy. I don't care what you're paying Cam Newton. That was a luxury because you had cap space anyway. Cam Newton was terrible last year. And after the first few weeks when they basically showed you what they could do with Cam Newton in the offense, everyone's like, well, that's it. That's all you can do. And it was dreadful down the stretch there. And and I know I'm on the clock here, but, you know, for me – I I struggle with this. I I really do. Um, I just don't believe that they're in a position where they're going to wait very long to pull that trigger on Mac Jones. And I think Mac Jones ended up in the right place for him because I think the things he does well is what the Patriots kind of want to do in the first place, you know, which is about timing routes and it's about getting the ball out on time and it's about smart quarterback play and it's and it's about all those things it's really never been about athleticism with the Patriots going back to the Drew Bledsoe days and you can go even you know <laughs> on further than that but I think when you're looking right now going forward you know Mac Jones probably could have landed in a lot of spots where I wouldn't be high on him and it's not because I'm a Pats fan it's because I legitimately think he's a good fit for the way he plays and what they like to do. And I've watched enough Patriots football in my life to know that Mac Jones kind of fits that. He's also got that weird, goofy swagger about him where he thinks he's better than he is. And that is just reeks of, (laughs) absolutely reeks of of Tom Brady. It's the same kind of thing. And he's never going to be Brady. No one ever is. Uh, Nico Collins got picked right before me. I am pissed off. So that that (laughs) is very difficult. I was hoping he would make it back to me at three. It did not happen. Not happy about that, so I'm gonna have to dig here for a second. Yeah, I'll let you do your pick, and then, um, I mean, I, I definitely, 
I feel that with Mac Jones, it's going to directly benefit the receivers, specifically the outside receivers. Uh, Camp Newton has not always been a prolific passer outside of the hashes, and he's done his work inside with, you know, Greg Olson, tight ends. Uh, he was, you know, Funchess and Benjamin were his outside threats. Those were bigger guys. Um, but Cam Newton in, in around the end zone is a big threat to Damian Harris. What are your thoughts about Damian Harris if Mac Jones were to take over week one? If Mac, well, he he changes completely. Damian Harris was very good last year. When he was given 20-plus carries in a game, he showed you he could handle it. He was terrific. But the problem is the goal line was not even an option for him. So we don't even even know how good he could be around there. And I do believe you're going to see Mac Jones sooner or later. And and if I'm believing that narrative, then I'm okay making a late investment in Harris. I like him as an RB4. I think that's an appropriate value for him somewhere in that range. I think if you're taking him as your flex running back, I think you might be disappointed early on. Uh, I think there's some better guys you could take around there. But as your fourth running back, I I like the upside there because as the season goes on, I do believe you're going to get him. Now, I knew they drafted Stevenson, and I understand Sonny Michelle's there and, you know, James White's there, but Sonny Michelle's never healthy, and James White's getting old. And it just kind of feels like it's really Damian Harris's to to lose here. And I think that he – He's put himself in a really good spot with the coaches, with the team, to really kind of take over that featured back role to whatever extent you can get that with the Patriots. (laughs) But that can be, especially with a young quarterback, a very good scenario, and certainly the goal line touches will improve if indeed he does get up that that opportunity. Now, could Stevenson steal some of those? Sure, especially because he fits that LeGarrette Blunt kind of a mold of a running back. But typically with the rookies, when it comes to Belichick, you got to prove that you're not going to put the football on the ground. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. But Harris is one of those guys that, you know, if Newton plays for 17 games, then it's going to be a rough season. But if he plays for six, it could be a, a very a good later round pick, I think, where Harris actually has more upside than people realize. Would you rather Harris, Trey Sermon, or Michael Carter? Ooh, uh, my, I'll tell you what. For me... Trey Sermon this year um, because of what that offense is and how they operate. And before Jeffrey Wilson Jr. got hurt, I was very high on him going into the year because he looked terrific down the stretch. And I and feel like nobody was talking about him. Then we got the news about the injury. Mostert, to me, is just a dude who got hot at the right time. He'd been on five different teams in three years. It's very rare that the NFL as a whole, like collectively five teams miss on a guy. It's yeah. more the scheme than anything. Um, and I'm only, you know, I know Gallman's there too, but Trey Sermon, to me, they made that selection in mind knowing that I think, once again, he's got time to go. I worry about the Jets' offense. Michael Carter's the best running back in that backfield. I just worry about the Jets' offense overall. So I'm less worried about the San Francisco 49ers' offense. And Damian Harris is, is a little bit, again, kind of tied into Mm -hmm. the quarterback play a little bit whereas Sermon I think as the year goes on all those guys are going to get better but Sermon to me in that offense has the most upside so that's where I would go so in the second round we had Davis Mills go pretty quick Um, that's the probably the highest I've seen him that's probably directly related to the Deshaun Watson news Um, you know Deshaun Watson were to be traded to the Philadelphia Eagles to the Miami Dolphins any of those places I'm assuming that a quarterback would be sent over. But the Houston Texans did use their first overall draft pick. It was pick 67. Um, but they did use it on Davis Mills. What are your thoughts on Davis Mills? Obviously, at least he's a stash. Is he anything more than that? Uh, I, 
I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. I, and, and I think that's the thing. Like, the Texans right now are a defunct organization. I mean, if Deshaun's gone, Tyrod Taylor is going to get a good long leash there. Because I also don't think this is a team that is necessarily going to be in a circumstance to get right back into it and get a franchise quarterback next year. Now, they might be really bad, but again, you got to go look and see like how things line up for them, what picks they have, what things they've traded away and stuff like that. I have to go look at that. But for me, I, I don't think so. And I think that uh, if Deshaun Watson does get traded, which I think is going to be a very difficult sell right now, I really do. I think he's kind of stuck there. The best thing you could do is probably play out the year, rebuild his value, and then go, you know, deal with the off the field issues later on. But it's very difficult for a team to like the Texans to get value for Deshaun Watson right now because Deshaun Watson's put himself in a situation where he has crushed that value. And as a player, he is a top five quarterback in the league, arguably. And yeah. you should want the moon and the stars. But what team is going to go ahead and take that kind of a risk, especially what if things don't go well when he's deposed in February and all these things don't go well, um, then all of a sudden you have a, a problem. And what did you just give up the house for? I don't think the Dolphins are going to play that game. I don't know if there's a team in the NFL that right now is going to play that game, especially with the way the climate is right now. So I think he's kind of stuck there for at least a year until these things kind of get ironed out and we shall see what happens. Yeah, and, and you know, right now Tyrod Taylor is penciled in as the starter if Deshaun Watson doesn't play. But that Tyrod Taylor as the starter has not lasted very long. Um, with the Browns, he lasted uh, until week eight when uh, he got injured and then Baker Mayfield took over. Um, he was week two, unfortunately, uh, a freak accident with the doctor and Justin mm -hmm. Herbert took over and then um, he was traded to Cleveland the year they drafted Josh Allen, and Josh Allen took over. Um, Tyrod Taylor did not look good with the Los Angeles Chargers when he did play that one game last year. Um, that offense is just difficult. What do you do when David Johnson is the best available player for like 15 rounds and he's just staring at you? on the clock i i'm passing I'm, i want zero shares there's only two texans that i'll even consider and it would be cooks at a very discounted cost because i think cooks will still be good for a few games as a bench wide receiver um to fill in he's kind of had that mo and, and look taylor looked rough in that one game but also you know last year with no real preparation going to a new team all that stuff it was kind of a tough sell anyway i mean really it was there were no preseason games for him to really get up to speed. And Tyra Taylor is, you know, he's okay quarterback in the NFL. He'll be okay. You can get by, but he's had the worst run of luck here ever since he left Buffalo. There's no doubt about that. Um, and the other guy for me is the late round pick. I think he's like RB 50 right now on Philip Lindsay because Philip Lindsay just won't die. Like, you know, yeah. the Broncos never wanted him to be the starter. And all he did was rush for a thousand yards twice. And, you know, last year dealt with some injuries. And I look at the guys that are there. David Johnson's always been hurt. Mark Ingram's 110 years old. Rex Burkhead's nothing special. Uh, I know I'm forgetting somebody, too, on that, that depth chart. Yeah, right Mark now. Ingram. Well, yeah, well, Mark Ingram, he's the one that's 110 years old. But there's one oh, yeah, other yeah. guy, too, and I can't remember who that is off the, right now. But what I'm saying is, Philip Lindsay, he might get a shot. And if Philip Lindsay gets a shot, it might be like every other Philip Lindsay season where he just literally runs away with it. So if you're in a deeper league, I have no problem taking a shot on Lindsay. You can cut him three weeks into the season if it doesn't work out or you yeah. want to pick somebody else up. But, you know, why not take a shot on that guy compared to David Johnson, who 
look, I understand, like, you look good for a couple games, and then at the end of the year, you look good, but what was he in the middle? Hurt, because that's yeah. what he's always been, and that's just something you, he's a bad investment, and the fact that he is where he is in ADP still is kind of troubling. I don't know why we can't shake that for whatever reason. Like, yeah, he's still, people just... He is still RB34, and he's still in the he's still in the top 80. Like, he's going in the same spot as guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, guys like Devonta Smith, uh, Robbie Anderson, Michael Carter. I mean, all those guys to me are more interesting than David Johnson. Yeah, it's those zero RB guys that are like, well, he's my RB1. I got him in the ninth round. Gross. Um, so let's go review the first round. Um, Trevor Lawrence at 101, not really a shocker. We talked about that. Najee Harris at two. I know it was an auto pick. That still could have been the pick. Absolutely. Would you would you go Najee Harris or Trey Lance if this was a startup rookie draft? Uh, I would probably still go Trey Lance, but Najee, I, I love Najee. I have no problem going Najee also. Uh, but I, I like Lance that much that I'm okay with Lance as the two. Who, who likes uh, Najee Harris more, you or Mike Taglier? Oh, that is tough. Tags, because he's like completely nuts. I love the guy, but he is like in love with him. This is like yeah, I think he got a I, I love Najee tattoo. Oh my god. Um, so, Seriously. Um, but you know what, man? Like I understand why. I mean, we're both you know, and that's the thing. When you a lot of good analysts that you think do good work are all in on the same players, there's a reason. And it's very rare that I get hyped up. The last time I got hyped up about a rookie running back was Saquon Barkley, and that ended pretty well. And yeah. before that it was Ezekiel Elliott, and that ended pretty well. Now, he's got some issues with the offensive line, but once again, there's a little chicken in the egg there. You know, when you don't have a lot of running back talent, it's kind of hard, <laughs> you know. But well, at the same time, that offensive line is not great for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we'll see if one can help the other. Well, Saquon Barkley's rookie year was an RB1 finish, and he had an aging quarterback that checked it down a lot. He got a ton of volume behind a right. very bad offensive line on a bad team and a mm-hmm. bad offense. And as a Giants fan, I hate to say all those things. Sounds familiar. But, <laughs> yeah, but Najee Harris – Everyone wants to point to the offensive line, and I've done it as well. But there also is the fact that that offensive line was bad. So if you were to bring back all five starters, you would have brought back a bad offensive line. They did address the interior line in the, in the third round. Um, they got a, a center slash guard. Um, they also they they picked up Trey Turner. Um, you know they're moving. Um, I can't say the name. You know, you know help me with this one. This was not Italian. Um, Chudy, uh, what was the, the right tackle? I moved to left tackle from Western Michigan. Now I'm going to pass on that one too. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't get that one. And then they have Zach Banner playing right tackle. It's not the best scenario, but I think everyone is acting like they got five. They left, you know, they cut five all pro guy, you know, guys and they brought in a bunch of bums. It's probably, it probably can't get much worse than last year. And it may take a couple of weeks for the team to gel, but at the at the end of the day, Najee Harris is going to get volume, and there's only a handful of running backs that are going to get the same volume he is. He's going to get, and his that that brings huge upside with it. Um, they drafted him high, and Mike Tomlin's uh, history with running backs gives me a lot of confidence. Um, Kyle Pitts and Trey Lance. Were you talking about Okorafor? Is that what you were talking? Yes. About? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So he's moving from right tackle to left tackle uh, as of now. Um, and then, so Trey Lance went four. So that, that was a steal. Um, and, and most, you know, in most ADP, he's the number two guy. Um, he's taken over from fields. I know there's some arguments there. Were you thinking Lance or Pitts or were you dead set on Lance? No, I was dead set on Lance. And if Lance went before me, I was okay with fields. So we got to pick our spot. And if you get to pick your spot, 
you know, that's why I picked where I picked because of four, I was confident. Look, worst case scenario, if I don't get one of the three running backs I like, I end up getting uh, Najee Harris and life goes on. Even if you, you know, one more spot down, Jamar Chase is, I think, going to be a phenomenal NFL talent for for many years. So I love him. Um, so it's, it's a really top heavy class, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then it really bottoms out. You know, some years you get classes that, and, and part of it is because we don't have a lot to go on on some of the guys because of the way the season was in college football, what programs didn't play, what programs played small samples, all that stuff. It was, it was kind of a, a disaster at times, but I think it's just a, it's a very good top of the class. I think with a first round or so, you feel pretty good about the picture making. And then after that, it's really not very exciting. So for me, this is a year that if you've got some capital there with a couple third round picks or something like that, move up, move yeah. up for sure. If you've got like two second rounders, move up to the first, you know, vice versa, whatever that is, like keep, keep trying to move up because after, you know, after that second round is over, it's really kind of throwing some darts at some guys and it's not nearly as exciting. Yeah. If you haven't done your rookie draft, I, I preach this all the time, move up now. It is very hard to move up on draft day. The only people that want to move back are the people that don't like the board. And that's probably like not till the second round. And you can always move back when you want to on draft day. So if you're sitting at five and going, well, there's four guys I like, then just don't back. Don't drop back any more than four. Go get ETN or Williams plus a first round pick. If that's who you, you know, you wanted. Um, But yeah, move up now, just like Joe said, because it really does. There is a pretty clear um, drop in talent. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, after the first, the first half of the draft, um, in your mock drafts, it's much easier to make decisions looking for long-term value. Joe and I were talking earlier about, you know, do you look at it in two or three year windows, three to five year windows, or use someone that always goes, you know, quarterback receiver, cause you want that longevity. You know, we have chase here, go ahead of Zach Wilson, ahead of the running backs. Mm-hmm. Do you think in a real draft that the running backs would go ahead of chase or would you put them? Would you think that people would still go with Chase? I'd love ETN. Again, if it's a startup, I want Chase because I think he is the best player there. Um, so I always want the best player if it's a startup. Once again, if you have rosters and you're just doing the rookie draft, it's a little bit more complicated. If you have great wide receivers, then Travis Etienne I yeah. think is a fine pick there. Um, yeah, and people always need running good. backs in Dynasty Leagues. Well, I mean, just at football, I mean, at this point, too. Especially now with the 17th game, too, you're going to see a lot of those committees. It's not a mistake that if you look around at the Cardinals, you look around at the Raiders. I mean, it's not – they know what they're doing here, which is they're covering their asses, basically. And it's – they're going – you're going to see guys, you know, share a little bit of time. Yeah, a little workload management. Well, there's going to be a little bit of that. You know, one extra game doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. You know, so I think that – I think the wear and tear of all that, and I think also kind of the evolution of the running back, there's just fewer of those guys, which is why Najee is so exciting. And Travis Etienne, I know Robinson's there, but I look at Etienne as being a guy that, you know, kind of similar to what you had at Jonathan Taylor last year in the second half. I think he can have a, a, a very exciting finish to the season. Trevor Lawrence is this guy. He's getting to play with his guy. You're telling me that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to want Travis Etienne on the field. I think people are nuts. So, of course he does because that's where he's comfortable. And you're going to make your rookie star quarterback comfortable. And yep. James Robinson, let's face it, was great last year, but he's an undrafted free agent from a previous regime. So, I just, I can't, I think he'll get some early work in the first six weeks. And then by the last six weeks, James Robinson could be a non factor. Now, maybe they will balance it out. We'll see. But Travis Etienne is the exciting talent in that backfield. Yeah, I was really struggling. Javante Williams or Travis Etienne, and 
Thanks to Pristine Auction, not a sponsor yet. <laughs> um, but I got to sign Travis Etienne jersey nice. today. And one of I our sponsors. Yeah, yeah. So they have some um, good stuff on there, man. They really do. <laughs> yeah, I saw Deontay Johnson signed jersey go for twenty six bucks the other wow. day. Wow. Um, so even if you don't like Deontay Johnson, that's twenty six dollars for a signed Steeler jersey. I mean, you can't beat that. Um, but Javante Williams and Travis Etienne is very interesting conversation. If you were to choose between the two guys, you would have leaned Etienne. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I like Williams. It's not a knock on him, but. I think ETN has a path to be really good right away. Williams, I'm just a little annoyed more than anything about Melvin Gordon's presence there. Uh, I do think Williams is the better back. He's the younger back. I think he will win out eventually. Mm-hmm. But I feel re- I feel much better about ETN, and I just think people are are not giving him enough credit and not recognizing the situation enough. Like he's he's another guy too. I think if you look at the ADP, it's kind of surprising where he's he's kind of you know he's at RB twenty nine. He's being drafted as a, a an RB three. And I feel very comfortable with him as a two. If yeah. you're giving me as a flex, I love ETN as a flex, especially in PPR. Cause I think he's going to catch a ton of balls, but he's going right now ahead of Daryl Henderson. Um, he's going in that grouping of running backs. He's going ahead of Leonard Fournette, ahead of Damian Harris. And I'm good with that. Now Williams is going ahead of ETN in ADP right now in half point PPR, but in regular PPR, I think I would prefer ETN. Yeah. And Melvin Gordon, I mean, if, if there, there's there's always an outside chance that this happens, if they were to trade him, the Broncos would save six point nine million dollars. They still would have to eat about two and a half million dollars. I don't see that happening. But if the outside chance that you know the Rams or somebody were to try to make this move, that the Buffalo Bills, somebody were to try to, hey Broncos, would I don't take know if the Rams hand. have the cap space. To be honest, they they have like uh, six point seven, so um, <laughs> they would have to swing. <laughs> they would have to do something. Um, but you know that the uh, NFL has five ways to make magic when it comes they to do. that. Um, but yeah, the, you know, if, if Melvin Gordon is there and, and Javante Williams is there and everyone stays healthy, which Melvin Gordon has not always been able to stay healthy. Uh, yeah, in year one, ETN has the much more clear path. And that's why I picked him over Javante Williams. Um, you see the Alabama boys go next, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. Who would you go out of those two? Uh, Smith, because I think Smith is going to be good right away. And I think Waddle's the more intriguing upside as mm-hmm. it goes. So once again, it comes down to philosophy. If you're just starting up, I probably want Smith because I think Smith from the jump is going to be very good. And I worry about the body type over year three, year four, holding up and see how that works. But Waddle, I think, is the more interesting long-term guy. And I think Waddle's going to be very useful this year, too. But yep. that's it's, that's kind of how I would go. So knowing the way I would draft, it would probably be Smith. But I go them going back-to-back is not surprising because, once again, I do think they're very close here. It's it's funny because you had the two running backs who were pretty close. And yep. then you had the two the wide receivers who were pretty close. And then Sermon, I do think, is probably that neck no, next notch down there. Uh, but still, I mean, you could even double up there at the turn with Sermon and Michael Carter. I think that's a really good investment there. If, and if you don't like Mac Jones, so you, yep. the turn is a good spot this year for this draft. Yeah. And just to recap, so one Oh one was Trevor Lawrence. One Oh two is Najee Harris. One Oh three, Kyle Pitts. One Oh four, Trey Lance. One Oh five, Justin Fields, Jamar Chase at one Oh six, Zach Wilson at one Oh seven, Jamar or Travis Etienne, one Oh eight, Javante Williams, one Oh nine, Devonta Smith, 110, Jalen Waddle, 111, and Trey Sermon at 112. 
We talked about him. We talked about Mac Jones, who went 201, and Michael Carter, who went 202. Then we see a string of receivers. There was a run. Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, Rondale Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Kadarius Toney. Boom, 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 boom. Out of that crew, which one of you started that run with? Uh, Rashad Bateman, for sure. Uh, That would have been my guy. And uh, I think he's been drafted with the purpose of really bringing this offense to a little bit more balance. Um, Bateman... You know, Tag says it, and I agree. When I was looking at the film, that was the guy I wrote down was Keenan Allen, and then that was the guy Tags wrote down. So I was like, well, I guess we see that the same. And, you know, I think for, for my money, you're looking at him and you say, okay, um, there's a need, there's an opportunity, there's a talent. All three of those things make for a good investment. So yep. for me, Rashad Bateman is in a good situation. And Lamar Jackson doesn't get enough credit. You know, he, he throws the football pretty well. He's a pretty good pocket passer, actually, in college. The Ravens' offensive line was not one of the better passing offensive lines, a very good rushing line, but in terms of pass protection, they're not that great. So it's a little bit of kind of evolution here. I think Lamar Jackson, it'll be fascinating to see if indeed he can take that next step at the NFL level, but Bateman goes a long way. I know they brought in Watkins too. I've never been a Marquise Brown guy. To me, he was always kind of like a, you know, a little gadget kind of guy that can go out there and maybe make a big Mm -hmm. play for you when someone makes a mistake, but he can't get open on his own. Like he's just a, he's a hot mess. Uh, so often, but Rashad Bateman, that's a guy that I think has a perfect kind of fit for where they were in the draft for the kind of receiver that I think could help Lamar Jackson. So that would be my guy. Yeah. And we talked about it earlier with Cam Newton and it's the same with Lamar Jackson. His QB rating goes down when you go outside the hashes, but inside the hashes is where he is most comfortable. And Rashad Bateman is someone that plays in between the hashes very well. If you put their, you know, they put the heat map kind of where they're both successful together and they are identical. It's a very good match in that offense. And having his, you know, Lamar Jackson's ability to scramble and Rashad's uh, ability to make big plays, uh, you could see a lot more. And people are just fading him because of the offense. Um, he smashed in between two of my favorite prospects. I like Elijah Moore quite a bit. I think Jamison Crowder is going to hold him back early. Unless they move on from Crowder, they did redo his contract. Under the new contract, if they trade him, they're only on the hook for $1.5 million dead money. If they cut him, they're on the hook for like $5.5 million. So I don't know if he's someone, you know, the Saints are in need of a receiver. There's a few other teams. But if Crowder's still there, Elijah Moore might be capped year one. And we already talked about that offense maybe having a slow start. They were number 31 in scoring last year. I love Terrace Marshall. Um, Terrace Marshall with Joe Brady. Uh, you know, I was kind of going back and forth with someone in regard. They said, you know, David Moore is going to be the guy. I just, I think this team is way too forward thinking. You don't put a guy like David Moore out there and not put Terrace Marshall out there and stun his development. What are your thoughts in regards to Terrace Marshall and Elijah Moore? Uh, you know, the, the Jameson Crowder thing is, is the difficult part. I think you, you certainly nailed that. And he restructured the deal to come back, so I'd be very surprised if they moved on from him unless Moore just really just blew everybody away in camp and they're like, we can't not play this guy and the quarterback loves him and all that stuff. So to me, I think it's actually more beneficial, most likely for, to have a veteran wide receiver like Crowder who's been around the league for a while who can help the young quarterback as opposed to another rookie. So I don't see him moving anywhere, which kind of I think early on, at least this year, suppresses mm-hmm. value. I'm not sure yet in that offense and 
believe me, I'm with you. I'm team Joe Brady all the way. But you got more. You got McCaffrey. You got, you know, um, Robbie Anderson with Sam Darnold. I just don't know how much there is going to be left in target share for him. That's my only concern. I like the yeah. prospect. I like the pick. I think he's a talented guy. I think it's a good selection in the Dynasty League for sure. But once again, I want to win now, so that's why I keep pivoting to Bateman because of those three guys, I have a really hard time not seeing Bateman being a starter <laughs> in week one. You know, And that's yeah. that I think is what you want to lock in. And the faster you're a starter in week one, the faster you can you know, start to contribute and then learn you know, as opposed to sitting back and watching and not being on the field, not getting the snaps you need. Yeah, I, I've warmed up to Bateman quite a bit. I, I definitely was nervous about someone going to Baltimore last year. Their second best, you know, the second highest wide receiver targets was 50, and the third highest was like 30. Um, but it's a chicken before the egg conversation. When you got Willie Sneed, and I don't even remember who the third highest was, they're not going to throw the ball that much. Um, but Terrace Marshall, if he does start in the slot, um, you know, something that the 2020 class did was spoil us. They gave us a lot of fantasy production yeah. early and receivers don't always blow up year one. Even guys like Julio Jones took a little while to get going. Um, but if, if they start in the slot, guys like Cooper Cup, Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael, Michael Thomas, they tended, you know, they had better years in their rookie years. And that's my thought is that Terrace Marshall could possibly play that slot role. But Christian McCaffrey coming back is a big part. And those Curtis Samuel targets are not all going to go to Marshall. No, no, they're not. And, and, and like I said, you know, it's, it's one thing to like the talent, but you also have to understand what kind of team you want to build, what kind of player you are too, and how you want to approach the draft. And, and if you know what, Marshall's that guy, then if you're in that, and again, you're doing these drafts separate, like if you're doing the rookie draft separate than the actual mm -hmm. draft, then I think then you look at it and go, okay, well, I have Marshall. Maybe I do take Julio Jones or an older wide receiver and a guy that may come in a little bit better value there. And you're okay with that because you know maybe Julio's got another year or two of some really good productivity. And by then, maybe Marshall does grow into the role that you envision. So I think a lot of that has to do with roster construction, which is yep. so important in Dynasty. So the next two running backs are Kenneth Gainwell and Shuba Hubbard. Um, how would you order those guys? Uh, I still like Gainwell. I think Gainwell is a fascinating piece. I think he's really fun. I think he fits yeah. this, and that's why I took him. And, you know, I did think about it there with Hubbard as well. But, you know, it's not a knock on, on Chuba at all. I mean, he's very good. But Gainwell, I think, kind of fits a little bit. of This is this is the NFL now. Like, who's the little fast guy who can catch balls yeah. and get out yeah. there and make things happen? And it's a player that maybe five years ago I would not be excited about. But now <laughs> I think I am a little bit more I also just don't know what the, you know this new regime is going to want. And I, whenever a new group comes in, a new head coach comes in, and and they're evaluating talent, I don't know what that means for Miles Sanders. I certainly like Carryon Johnson signing there, and Boston no. Scott's still there, and they drafted Kenneth Gainwell, and you start to look around going, do they even know who they like? I don't know, but that's it's enough for me to be fascinated by Gainwell. Yeah. And I just I like the tape that I saw. I liked what he brings, and this is a speed league now, and Gainwell has that. Yeah, Ken Kenneth Gainwell is someone that lost a lot of stock during during the draft. It's kind of the reverse Keyshawn Vaughn. After the draft, everyone just – they had him as their RB4, and he's dropped to the RB7, RB8. And, yeah, I mean, with Nick you know, Ciceriani, we, we don't really know what we're going to do or what we're going to see. If we see a Neheim Hines kind of a role, 
then that can be very exciting. Um, Miles Sanders has a tendency to – he has not been healthy for an entire season yet. Um, and if they do, you know, have that committee approach and he has the pass down role and their their defense was pretty bad last year, they were playing from behind quite a bit, we could see him as a pretty good value there late in the second round. And you can get him in, obviously, in the late second round, mid-second round in one-quarterback leagues. And Chuba Hubbard, just, he really just seems more of a handcuff than anything. Yeah, that's all he is. But he could be a very useful one, which we learned yeah. last year. <laughs> the hard way so, when everybody got hurt in the first round. <laughs> so instead of going through the entire third and fourth round, can you just pick out one or two players from the third round that stick out that you you like? Um, Nico Collins uh, yeah, has some opportunity, right? And I was mad because he went right before me. So Nico Collins was a guy that I think that um, opportunity might present itself in, in that team. That yep. roster is, is not good. So Nico Collins, and I just had Andrew Erickson on, buddy of mine who actually writes for the Black Book uh, from PFF, and he was like, you know, Nico Collins might be one of these guys you throw a dart on late, and he might be a really useful guy, you know, in the deeper leagues. So Nico Collins is the one that stood out for me. Uh, I do like De'Ami Brown as the talent, too. I I think that, you know, again, we don't know how long Fitzpatrick's going to be good or what's going to happen there. Stevenson is intriguing. Trask is a project, but... yeah an interesting project. I think <laughs> that if you can get it right, maybe, I mean, he had a lot of talent around him and that kind of helped him. But again, if you can surround quarterbacks with talent, typically things work out pretty well. The fourth round, I'm, I'm not a fan of a lot of the guys there. I'm just not yeah. like, it just, I don't feel like there's a lot of value. And that's why I'm telling people, if you've got extra picks move up, don't worry about not picking in the fourth round or even the third round. If you can get a guy you like in the second, make the move, do that. But Collins and Brown to me, and then Stevenson a little bit. That's kind of where it all drops off right after that. Yeah, for me, in, in my draft so far, I've I just say, does anyone want this pick? And then I just get a 2022 third for a fourth rounder this year. And then I, honestly, well, pick I'm, up a player. You know, if it's if it's not a startup dynasty, trade picks yeah. for players. You know, get some guy, get somebody that's undervalued, coming off an injury. You know, see what you can make work or package another player and a pick or two. And, yeah. you know, if these guys are going to get be cut bait anyway. What's the point? You know, I feel cares? like I feel like the undrafted guys are just as valuable as the fourth round guys. So just like you said, use the fourth round picks to move up mm -hmm. or I'm moving back to next year or trading a veteran, just like you said. Um, so, yeah, that's for, for me. I mean, there's some interesting names out there. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of buzz on um, Kaling, you know, or Granson. They think uh, he's going to be in the Trey Burton role in the Indi you know, Indianapolis Colts offense. There's not really a true number one tight end there. Again, we talked about receivers sometimes take a little while to cook. Um, tight ends definitely take a little while to cook. Um, Kylan Hill is interesting. Uh, I know A.J. Dillon is the backup there. He doesn't really profile as a, a, a you know very elusive in space or a pass catcher. Jamal Williams is gone. What are your thoughts on Kylan Hill? In Green Bay, um, my thoughts are AJ Dillon. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I just I, AJ Dillon is a monster, and and if he does get unleashed at some point in time, my goodness, uh, I mean that I, I just that's that's the thing. It's like if Aaron Jones goes down for any period of time, I it's it's interesting narrative that people want to make about Kylan Hill and stuff, but AJ Dillon is is a beast, and you could see it in a small sample size last year when they gave him the football. Nobody wanted to tackle that guy. Nobody in December wants to. It's just yeah. like Derrick Henry. Nobody wants to stand in front of the tracks when the train's coming through. 
and AJ Dillon is the train and these guys and especially as the season wore on there at the end when you saw him a little bit no DBs want to go up there and try to make a tackle and this guy gets out there in space I mean forget that yeah Those he was carrying awesome. people oh, the only thing he can't do at the time. he can't he can't do Lambo leap he needs a little assistance doing that um, and I don't care man no, you don't, he don't have to as long as he scores he could just wave to the crowd <laughs> so uh so the, the the million dollar question for Joe Mixon owners who is the handcuff in Cincinnati? Chris Evans, I see, is picked here. Travion yeah, Williams me. is on the <laughs> roster. It's Maje P. Ryan. Ugh, I don't know. It's 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 mixing or bust. I just took Evans as a speculation pick because I hate all the talent. So hey, maybe Evans has a good camp. You know, maybe another mix of injury opens up an opportunity. That's literally the only thing there at that point in the draft. I was like, eh, I'll take a shot. You know, and see what happens. Stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. Guys do come out of nowhere, like you know, but. Uh, you know, it's it's tough, and Mixon is hard because Mixon's a player that I really like and I've had a lot of shares of, and I've been disappointed quite a bit. So I'm one of those people who's trying to get, trying to wrap my head around sensibility. I love T. Higgins. I love Chase. I like Burrow. I'm hoping we get good reports and Burrow looks good in camp as we continue yep. to ramp up, and that'll make me feel better about everything. But it's Mixon where, you know, as an RB2, love it. If you can get him as your second guy, okay, that that's fine. But as your RB1, uh, he, I'd rather just end up taking a wide receiver. Like, I'd rather just, at the turn, give me Diggs or Hopkins or somebody like that. I just think it's a better investment. I just, I don't think Joe Mixon is a good investment at where he's going right now, unless mm-hmm. you took Nick Chubb first, or unless you have Najee Harris first and you double-tap running back there. Yep. But I struggle. I struggle there with Mixon as just the lone back. I just can't do it. So the last rookie question, can you trust Kyle Pitts year one? <laughs> yeah, you can trust him. Just don't trust him to be Travis Kelsey. Like, you know, I think people are – I love the talent of Kyle Pitts. They've opened up targets for him now with Julio gone. Yep. And I have every reason to believe he's going to be a very good tight end. He's my tight end for, and it's kind of by default. But it's yep. also he's that good of a talent. And I know we've never seen it, and that's fair. But we've never seen it until we see it. And if anybody's going to do it out of the gate, I think it's Kyle Pitts. And I think it's the way the NFL structured. And I also think if you can get him out there, you know, lining up as a wide receiver sometimes, which I think you are going to see in that mm-hmm. offense, especially since they still have Hurst on the roster. I don't see why you wouldn't, you know, think that Kyle Pitts can return that that value. And, and he's one of the players, too. We talk about camp doesn't mean anything and preseason doesn't mean anything. Well, preseason for some guys means something. I'd yeah. love to see Kyle Pitts look good in the offense right away. That would make me very comfortable. My problem is where he's going in ADP, I struggle with that depth of running back, the depth of wide receiver, because you have to, if you were going to take him, pass on a lot of other guys where you're, you you know, like right now in half one PPR, he goes ahead of Dak Prescott. No way. There's no way I'm putting pits on my team before Dak Prescott. He's going before Cooper Cup. Kind of struggle there. Deontay Johnson, again, DJ Moore. These are high volume wide receivers. You know, you're going to pass on those guys for hopefully Kyle Pitts becomes that guy. And he might be that dude, uh-huh. but it's got to be at a discount and it's got to be lower than I'm seeing. And right now I'm not seeing enough of a discount. If a round or so past that, when you're looking at guys on the board, like the quarterback clump of Herbert and Wilson, you know, you're looking at Mostert, Odell Beckham, Ronald Jones. If he makes it down to there, absolutely. Okay. But the problem is he's going in the fifties. If he's going in the sixties, now yep. I'm signed up, but people aren't going to let that happen. There's only going to be one person always in your draft. I think that's not going to let that happen. Yeah, and when when you look at it, you're looking at which pairing do I want? Do do I want you know Dallas Goddard in the eighth or ninth round with you know Dak Prescott or 
you know, Cooper Cup or you probably get Dak Prescott and Cooper Cup in the sixth, or do I go get Kyle Pitt, Kyle Pitts, and then end up with maybe Juju as your receiver because that's probably around the range that he's going. Mm-hmm. How do you want to pair that up? I don't and, mind Juju. I, again, I think Juju's getting a lot of you know bad press too. But you know, you look up at the end of the day, the stats were there last year, and I don't think they're going to just disappear either. I think you're going to get pretty much a repeat of what you got for the most part, uh, or at least pretty close to it. And I think that's that's the problem. All right, last. Uh, so I did have one question, Alex. What prospects drafted in the fourth round of this mock have best long term potential? Um, looking back at it. Um, I mean, we touched, we touched a little bit on Kylan Hill. Um, I picked Larry Roundtree and I just, I don't really trust Josh Kelly. I don't know if Justin Jackson's going to be on that team long. And I just took a shot. I don't really know much about Larry Roundtree. I'm not going to pretend that I do. Um, but there's always somebody behind Austin Eckler. Much mm-hmm. I love Austin Eckler doesn't always play the whole season. And Jackson wasn't the guy, and they kept going through a bunch of guys, and none of they couldn't find anyone. So actually, that would be my guy too. Was actually Roundtree because of again circumstance and opportunity maybe. And Eckler's another one of those guys too that as your RB two, cool. As your RB one, and then you take a wide receiver. Uh, I don't know about that. Like I can't start a team with my best player being Austin Eckler. I just don't feel comfortable with it. I don't. I, I just can't. I won't be able to sleep at night. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> So, uh, so you've been really gracious with your time. I just want to take a second and just say, um, you know, congrats to all the success that you've had. Thanks, um, the, the, the black book, huge success. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the black book and where, where sure. we can get it? Well, what's cool about the black book is it's, it's different from everything else that's out there. And I think what we're trying to find always is something that's different, something that separates you from the herd. Cause there's so much good information out there. So what we do is something called relative position value, which is very simple, which tells you just how good a player is compared to his peers as a tight end one. As, a, as an RB2. And when you cluster them together, it's better than rankings, it's better than tiers, because it's quantified rankings, it's quantified tiers, which actually leads to a strategy and approach and teaches you how to build roster strength. And we have 150 IDP, we've got Dynasty League content, a complete recap of all the players, players who are going to be undrafted free agents, we've got recaps on. We've got stuff about NFFC, we've got chapters that stand alone for PPR, for Superflex, for approaching the player pool. So it's really strategy-based. It's not just great content, but you got tags in there, Kyle Yates, Michael Florio, uh, you've got uh, Andrew Erickson, myself. It's a great group of people writing for it. But RPV is that separator. You can get it on Amazon uh, for the paperback, which I also just updated when the Michael Thomas injury all came down. So that's the other thing. People say, well, that stuff, it's, it's months old. Nuh-uh, not the Black Book. Blackwood gets updated as you go, so if you're going to buy it now, you're going to have all the stuff in there. You're going to be up to date as of this week with Cam Akers, with Daryl Henderson, with Michael Thomas. So you get paperback on there for Kindle. You could also get it uh, on Apple Books as well. But most people like the old school Amazon paperback copy, which which warms my heart because I like books too. Books are good. Books are good. So um, so you know you've been you've been the, the host of Fantasy Pros. You're doing baseball. You're doing football. A peek behind the curtains. What is what is the interview? You know, what is a, what is the interview to be a fantasy football host for Fantasy Pros? Well, ironically, and I actually just talked about this yesterday on uh, Josh's show, which is uh, I actually interviewed the year before for a position there, and I didn't get it. They ended up going a different way with the budget they had, and brought in Dan Harris to be editor in chief, and they brought in Kyle, and I think they kind of spread it around. 
And you know what? The process was so great. I had done so many shows with Fantasy Pros over the years. I was always their go-to fill-in. Oh, yeah. Somebody canceled. Oh, get get Pisa Pia. He'll do it. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I like being on that show. And I was bummed. But I, I you know, when the process didn't go my way, I was very gracious about it. And I was like, hey, man, this was great. And I'm sorry it didn't work out. And I'm bummed. And I'm happy. And I was one of the first people and who congratulated Kyle. And, you know, I was right there. He probably didn't even know at the time that I was, I was just like, hey, Congrats, man. Go kick ass. Be great. And then I got to know Dan Harris last year. And after that, and once again, continue to fill in and help out. And I told them when they hit problems last year, I was like, look, you know, I know you didn't hire me and all, but if you need some helping hands once in a while, like, let me know. I'll try to help out on some shows. And I did. And just trying to be a, you know, a good dude to a show that I like with people like Tags and Dan and everybody that yeah. I really like. And then they came after me. <laughs> so and then they offered me the position in february and i took it and yeah, that's where well, i wanted to be anyway so what a weird you know story right of the inner workings and that's why you know maybe some things aren't at the right time and then some things are so you know but i but i've really liked working there so far it's been great and the people there have been terrific to me and uh it's a great group of people and they're very passionate you know it's a it's a the development team is very passionate the content team is very passionate. The whole company has a focus and they're very organized and it's, it's been great. And it's, it's been really fun to kind of, you know, host that show. Cause it's such a big, important show. And you know, you, you deal with stuff, you know, not everybody's going to like you all the time. What are you going to do? You try to just do the best show you can. That's all you can do. No. And, and you, you know, basically interviewed, you know, 12 or 15 times for that show. <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least because every time I, every other show I listened to, you know, last year was you on it. And now every show I listen to now, you're every on show it. now, now you're stuck. Yeah. And I love it when they're like, Hey, one of our favorite guests is on the show. I'm like, I, I hope it's Joe. He's, he's all <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate so, it. Um, yeah. Like anytime I get a chance, I definitely throw you some, some, you know, props out there. Um, and, and when I had Marcus on, I said, Marcus, can you give us the same question? You know, and he's, I said, how'd you get the job? And he said, Mark, Monterey Hardesty. I said, what? I explain. He said, well, they asked me if Peyton Hillis goes down, who do you pick up? Or you tell people to pick up. And he was like, Monterey Hardesty. He said, I got the job. Um, never met the dude in my life, but Monterey Hardesty is how I got the job, you know, at Film Network. And Monterey Hardesty was not useful ever. <laughs> no, no, 100%. No. 100%. And you know what? It's, it's more difficult to cover two sports. It's it's way more difficult, um, especially when they overlap I, like right now. It's very hard, you know, and, and also the same thing goes with the Black Book, too. Like, you know, in October, we'll be working on the Black Book for baseball by, again, get a December 15th release and vice versa. By the time, you know, baseball starts April 1st, we're need even football Black Book to get it released by Memorial Day. So it's 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 look, it beats the hell out of working for a living, like I told you before. But it's it's when you can just be football centric. That's great. You yeah. know, they have tasked me with more than that. I do the betting show there. I still host TV for Sports Grid. I still, you know, I do all the NFL shows, but I also do all the MLB shows. So it's a lot, but it makes it easier when you have great people like Harris and Yates and Tags. And we've got some great people too. Lauren Carpenter has come on and uh, uh, Tara Victoria has come on. Like, so we've got some really good people there who have now like kind of joined the team. And that's really exciting. And it's, it's going to be a fun season, I think, now that we're getting, like, now we're like in it. You know, now There's, we're like in draft season, we're going to be in season before we know it. And that's when really like it gets exciting. And even like football, there's so many different, like there's super flex, there's premium oh, yeah. tight end, there's dynasty, there's best ball, there's D. D- and baseball's a grind, bro. 
Baseball is every day 15 games almost. It's a grind, and, like, the injuries have been brutal. You know, and I always make fun of tags. I'm like, tags, you, what are you worried about? Like, I have to know 10 pitchers on a team. You have to know, like, five players. I just have to know 10 pitchers at least on a single team. Like, you're, you're, Yeah, let's, let's see the baseball primer. Yeah, now, yeah, I want a daily baseball primer. I want <laughs> 600,000 words on every day. That's what I want. But like I said, man, it's a great group. We have fun, and we really – like I said, we it we have a passion for it, and I and I hope that comes through in the shows. I think it does, and I think we're hitting our oh, absolutely. No, I look forward to it. Uh, always, always, uh, you know, love the content. Thanks for coming on. Thanks have for the a, invite, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Hope to do it again sometime soon.